As well, if you will now, uh, grab your Bible, grab your Bible and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, we'll continue our study in the life of David tonight. We will be in 1 Samuel, chapter 28, 1 Samuel chapter 28, and we'll be looking at the entirety of this uh, chapter together in our time together tonight. Uh, Friends, I have titled this evening's sermon, Saul Consults a Medium. Saul Consults a Medium. For Samuel 28, friends, we'll read the entirety together uh, before we dive in. My friends, the Word of God says, In those days, the Philistines gathered their forces for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Understand that you and your men are to go out with me in the army. David said to Achish, Very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all of Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whoever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know that what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? He said, Bring up Samuel for me. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. The king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming up out of the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And Samuel said, why then do you ask me? Since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. And Saul 
fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel, and there was no strength in him, for he had eaten nothing all day and all night. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he listened to their words. So he arose from the earth and sat on the bed. Now the woman had fattened a calf, a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it and took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread of it. And she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they rose and went away that night. Friend, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we come to you this night humbled by this word. Lord, we know that your judgment falls rightly upon uh, sinners for their sin, Lord, and we know that that sword of wrath deserves to engulf us, Lord, that your fury uh, would be set against us. For, Father, we know in truth that we are sinners and rebels against you. And yet, Father, we hear your great mercies and your promises of salvation in Christ alone. So, Father, this day we put our hope in him and pray that, oh, by your Spirit, you would turn our hearts back to you. We may not fall into grievous sin, but by your great mercy, we may be brought to repentance, that we might cling more closely to Christ. O Spirit, guard your servant from error. Be with us now as we study your word. Lead us, we pray, into all truth, that we may once again hope in Christ alone. Father, we ask these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, this is a a, a grisly, uh, dark episode in the life of Saul. This is uh, a time where Saul really plunges into the darkness in consulting a medium. First Chronicles 10 tells us that this is also part of the reason why Saul was put to death by the Lord, because not only did he not obey the Lord and, and carry out the wrath of God against Amalek, but he engaged in the occult uh, and in the practice of Raising the spirits, uh, consulting a medium. So friends, just on the outset, remember that uh, the occult uh, is is not something to play with. It's not something to joke about. Uh, But this is serious stuff that brings the judgment of God and brought the death of a king of Israel. So in verses 1 and 2, friends, we are reminded that David is still in Philistia. Remember, chapter 27 tells us that David in his own wisdom, uh, left the land of promise to become a mercenary in the armies of the Philistines. Achish took him under his wing, and he is now a vassal of Achish, king of Gath. And so in verse 1, we're reminded that the Philistines are gathering for war. Now, the later chapters reveal that this is a coalition of all the Philistine kings. So Philistia is united now in a campaign to destroy Israel. Presumably before this, there had been smaller armies of Philistines that engaged Israel. And these were the ones that Saul fought with. But now Philistia, having suffered several losses to Saul and David, has decided that they will unite in a campaign to defeat Israel. And so they have gathered together uh, and they, have, they are going to fight against Israel. And Achash says, David, you're my vassal. You need to come with me. He's enlisting his vassal. 
David was a fool in going to Philistia. This was a terrible idea. He did not trust the Lord to save him in the land of Israel. And now, friends, it looks as though David is going to have to fight his own people and kill them in battle in service to this pagan king. Friends, we're reminded that sometimes our decisions have consequences uh, that are quite brutal and often not what we expect. But David is a man of his word, and he agrees that he will fight for Achish as he's promised. Remember, David has up to this point kept himself from killing Philistines. He's been sacking and pillaging these desert tribes in the Negev, which in and of itself is a very wicked thing, but he has been doing this without shedding the blood of the Israelites. But it looks like now he'll have to. But Achish has... His trust, and David has the trust of Achish. So David, uh, Achish says, if you do this very well, you'll be my bodyguard for life. He's going to exalt David to his right-hand man, to the chief of his guard. And so Achish has put his full trust in David. Now, after chapter 2, the narrative pauses, and we are directed by the narrator uh, to what's going on in the camp of Israel, what's going on with Saul. And Saul has organized in response to this campaign And we see, or we're reminded first in verse 3 that Samuel has died. Remember, Samuel the prophet, the judge of Israel, has died. He's been buried at Ramah. All Israel mourned for him. And also we're reminded in verse 3, just as background information, that uh, Saul, in his zeal for the Lord, has been obedient to a portion of the law that says that God's people are not to consult with necromancers or mediums. Now remember, friends, necromancy is the wielding or the or the using of the dead, of dead spirits to uh, influence the world. Uh, And mediums is that consulting. Friends, we think of fortune tellers and mediums. We think of, you know, those, uh, we think of the occult. And and friends, that was very rampant in the ancient world, uh, even as it is rampant in our own time. Uh, Many pagan religions use mediums. Friends, you think of Balaam, for example. Uh, There's a lot of correlation here between what happens in Balaam's life and what happens in this encounter Saul has with the medium. But friends, first of all, remember, God tells us very clearly in his word that Christians are never to consult with mediums or necromancers, that that this is evil and very grave wickedness. Uh, And this is not only demonstrated for us in the law in Leviticus chapter 19, for example, but it's also echoed in the New Testament uh, where it's considered a, a great evil and a great sin. So, friends, uh, you may find yourself at a time thinking that God's word is not sufficient for you and that you just need a word from a loved one uh, or you just need to find some other means of communication and truth. And if there ever comes a temptation to consult the dead via the occult, friends, just remember that in doing that, you're opening the door to demonic influence because. Paul will tell us that that's what's behind pagan worship. That's what's behind some of this is demonic power. uh, And it is a very um, dangerous thing. And it also brings the judgment of God. But Saul, in obedience to God, according to his law, had put the necromancers out. But this is a problem that's persistent in Israel. Coupled with the idolatry and the worship of Baal and the Asherah, the occult is always hanging around. So friends, the church has to combat this in every generation, that these things don't creep into the thinking of the church. You know, there's things, you can get a Ouija board at, at uh, 
toy stores. You know, Walmart sells them, Target sells them. Uh, you go through the Target bookshelf, and there's all kinds of things of being a modern witch and, and, and how to cast spells. And, and friends, you know, we, we need to be able to say what God's Word says about these things, that no, they're not innocent practices, uh, but this, there is a, a, a danger there. So Saul has put the necromancers and the mediums out of the land, but Saul is in need of guidance. The Philistines have amassed a great army, verse 4. They've encamped at Shunem. He's not far on the Mount of Gilboa. And Saul, verse 5, is terrified by seeing this vast army and his heart is trembling. He's scared out of his boots because there's no way that he can beat this army. And he's, he's scared for his life and for the life of his soldiers. So he goes and he tries to consult the Lord. Verse 6, he tries all of the God-ordained means to get a word from the Lord. He consults the prophets. He inquires of the Lord by dreams, by Urim, but the Lord does not answer him. Because the Lord has rejected Saul. And this is the time of Saul's judgment and the death of Saul. So in his desperation, Saul turns in verse 7 to the occult. Find a medium. And his servants say, well, there is one in Endor, which is just a brief hour's journey away north of Gilboa. So Saul sneaks away from the camp at nine, leaves the army there, takes a couple of trusted servants, and he goes to visit this witch of Endor. Now, this medium of Endor, uh, Saul meets disguise. He doesn't just come out and say, I'm the king. He comes just as a man wanting to enlist her services. And he comes with the men, and he requests that he would divine somebody, that the woman would divine someone, whoever Saul would name. But in verse 9, we see the woman is a little hesitant, and she believes this is a trap. You know that this is illegal in Israel. You know that Saul has put out the mediums and the necromancers. Are you trying to get me killed? Which, which reminds us, friends, that this medium is not conducting herself really openly. She probably doesn't have a sign that says, you know, come have your palm read or come get your fortune told. But this is something going on in the community. And it's enough that, you know, Saul's servants can find out that she's there. And so she's a little wary of Saul, but notice what Saul says to her in verse 10. He swears an oath by the Lord, no less, by the living God of Israel, by the one true and living God who has said that necromancers and mediums are not to be consulted by his people, that the occult practices are worthy of his judgment and wrath. He says, I swear by you that nothing punishment shall come to you for this. He can't swear that kind of oath. God has already declared in his word that such practices bring his judgment and his wrath. But what Saul means is he's not going to get her in trouble. Guys, we've got to be very careful uh, that we don't call evil good and good evil. Uh, that we don't, we have to have our Christian conscience trained by the Word of God so that we know to approve those things which God delights in and to disapprove and reject those things which God has forbade. So, friends, that's part of growing in Christ that we're asking God, renew my mind, that, as Romans 12 tells us, that I may discern what is good and true and acceptable. Because, friends, remember, culture, Paul says in Romans 12 is seeking to conform us. Culture around us, the sinful, wicked, fallen culture will try to condition us to have its values, to approve 
what it approves, whether it's the practice of the occult, whether it's sexual immorality, whatever these practices may be, the culture will seek to shape and mold us to say, this is something to approve, to celebrate, to applaud. But we must always come back to God's word and say, oh Lord, teach me to know, to approve, to celebrate what you approve and what you delight in. So here Saul is calling evil good and good evil. He is uh, giving an oath but it is a false promise. God's judgment does come. Well, in verse 11, the woman agrees. Uh, presumably, friends, you know, she's had some practice in this. Customers come in, customers make a request, and she gives some sort of divination, some sort of message from the dead. Is she really consulting with spirits? Is she consulting with demons? Is she making this up out of whole cloth? We're not really sure, but she kind of knows how to play the game. So she says, okay, Saul, name for me who you want me to divine, who you want me to find. Who do you want me to bring up for you? And Saul says, Samuel, bring up Samuel for me. Now the woman, verse 12, doesn't really seem to have any problem with trying to summon Samuel, but something happens here that has never happened before. Samuel himself appears. When the woman saw Samuel, verse 12, she cried out with a loud voice. And the Lord said to Saul, and the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. Well, friends, something very similar happened in the life of Balaam. Remember, Balaam was trying by divination to bring a curse upon Israel for Balak, king of Moab. But each time God would come and put his word in Balaam's mouth and he would turn that curse into a blessing. Uh, but friends, you know, this, this occult practice, God is now coming. He is going to send his servant Samuel as a prophet to speak one last oracle, one last word of judgment. So friends, we ought not to think that this medium has any power in herself to summon the dead, but we ought to recognize that it is God who is sending Samuel to pronounce judgment upon the king of Israel. But Saul tries to comfort her, saying, don't be afraid. I'm not, I don't mean you any harm. What does this person look like? And he says, well, he, verse 13, this man looks like a god coming up out of the earth. She's, she's seeing a being arise. Now, friends, some people will look at this and say, oh, well, this means that there is such a thing as soul sleep and that the spirits slumber in the earth because notice that Samuel comes up. But again, friends, that's more just imagery. Uh, scriptures do kind of indicate that the that Sheol or the grave is beneath. But friends, remember, that's a spiritual realm of the dead. And Samuel has been at the right hand of God. He's been with the saints. He's been in communion and, and fellowship with God and with God's people uh, since the moment he passed from this life to the next. So this, this is not a proof text for soul sleep. But the medium is saying, I am now seeing one, an old man clothed in a robe coming up out of the earth. And Saul knew it was Samuel. So he bowed his face to the ground and paid homage. So friends, no soul sleep. Remember, when, when Christians die, they immediately go into the presence of God. Remember, very quickly, we don't have a lot of time, but a human being is a psychosomatic union. 
which means that you are a body, embodied soul or an ensouled body. You are a body soul. And when the body dies, there's a separation, right? And the soul is immediately judged by God. We are immediately face-to-face with God. And if we are in Christ, we go immediately to heaven. We go immediately into the presence of God in a disembodied state, what is described as the intermediate state. And Christians are awaiting the resurrection of the body, where we receive from God a glorified body after the likeness of Christ's body, right? So, so human beings don't go through eternity as disembodied souls, but there is a day coming of a resurrection. And that's not just for the just or those who are in Christ, but there is also a resurrection of the unjust, a resurrection unto condemnation where the sinners who, when, when, if, you, if, if someone dies unrepentant, and has not repented to turn to Christ and believe the gospel, they are immediately, privately judged by God, go to hell and await a final resurrection and the final public judgment of God on the last day. And they receive a body too, friends. Everybody, everybody gets a body in the resurrection. But the body of the, of the condemned is a body after the likeness of their own corruption, a body fit to endure uh, the eternal flame. And so, friends, this is a temporary separation of the body and soul. But God has created human beings as embodied souls or ensouled bodies. And so what we're seeing here is a continuation of conscience, right? Samuel really does come, and Samuel does appear by the power of God, and he gives this oracle of judgment uh, against Saul. And so Samuel begins to say, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? I was at rest. I was at peace. Friends, that's how this, the Bible describes the believer when he dies. He's at rest. He's at rest with the Lord. He is enjoying the Lord and in his presence. And Saul says, I brought you up because I'm with the Philistines, but God, I'm at war with the Philistines, but God has turned away from me and will not answer me. And he says, I've summoned you to tell me what I shall do. And in verse 16, Samuel says, you know what's going on, Saul. You know that God has become your enemy, that the Lord is executing the judgment that he declared upon you. Samuel says, this is what I told you from the beginning. Verse 17, the Lord has done as he's spoken by me. The Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Many years, David was on the run from Saul. Many years, Saul persecuted David. Many years, Saul hardened his heart against this oracle of God. But now is the day of reckoning. Now, there is no escape for Saul. God is speaking through Samuel and he says, Tonight, this is the last night you have on earth, Saul. Tomorrow, you will go out and you will battle the Philistines and you will die. Verse 19, the Lord will give Israel, the whole army, into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. Samuel says, you're going to die. Your three sons that are with you in the battle will die. Israel will be destroyed. This will be a great defeat for the people of God. You know, part of the reason God raised up Saul was to bring a measure of deliverance to Israel. First Saul, for, I'm sorry, First Samuel chapter 10 tells us that, that Saul was raised up by God to bring a measure of salvation to save Israel from the hand of their enemies. 
And Saul did that in a measure. But now God has turned Saul over to judgment, over to his wrath. And there's some interesting questions. I mentioned at the very beginning of our study of the life of David that there is some question whether Saul is a true believer or not. I do think this passage is where we can see that Saul is in fact a a true believer who has fallen into great and grievous sin. The reason I say that is look again at verse 19. Notice the language that Samuel gives here. Samuel, Saul, Samuel says to Saul that tomorrow you and your sons shall be with me. Now, it could be that Saul is, Samuel is simply saying, Saul, you're going to be in the grave tomorrow. I'm in the grave. I'm in the realm of the dead. That is, I'm dead and you're going to be dead too. That may be all that Samuel means. But friends, remember one of those sons is Jonathan. And there's a great deal of difference between being where Samuel is in the presence of God, enjoying him, beholding that beatific vision, enjoying him in the glory of his holiness, and being under the wrath of God in a real place called hell. So friends, it seems likely to me, in fact, more than likely, that what Samuel is saying is, This is a great judgment that's going to come upon you, Saul. But take heart. You will be with me tomorrow. You know, friends, Eli, the the judge, uh, suffered a great judgment from God. Uh, God killed both Eli and his two sons on the same day for their disobedience. And we know that Eli was a godly man. But Eli still suffered under the judgment of God. And here we're seeing that Saul is suffering under the judgment of God. We saw Samson in his death. Friends, God is very patient with his saints. uh, And God is very forbearing with us. Um, But we see that God has kept his word and his promise to Saul. Well, in verse 20, Saul is terrified. He hasn't eaten all day. He just got word that his death is in the morning, and so he falls to his face. And now the medium comes, verse 21, and tries to give him counsel. The medium says, you need to eat something. (laughs) You need to listen to my voice. Verse 22, I will make you a morsel of bread so that you may eat and have strength when you go your way. Now, friends, we ought to see this as another mercy from God. Even though Saul has just received the most grim news that anybody could receive, that he's going to die and his sons in the, in the morning, along with the whole army of Israel. Nevertheless, God chooses to show kindness to Saul in and through this wicked woman. She's going to prepare for him a last meal. You know, this is a sort of steak and potatoes meal. She kills the fattened calf, that tender cut of beef that's reserved for special occasions, feast days, birthdays, a special guest. She kills the fattened calf for her guest, who is Saul himself. And so Saul is convinced by the servants and by the the woman to eat. And so he arises from the bed, verse 23, and sits on the bed. So she bakes unleavened bread, verse 24, and she kills the fattened calf. And verse 25, she puts all the meal before Saul and his servants and they ate. And then he rose and went his way. You see, friends, 
God will do what he's promised. Uh, The Lord is not slow to keep his promises. Some count slowness, but he is patient and long-suffering with you, his people. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. He is patient with his church. He is long-suffering with his people. But friends, as we remain hardened of hearts, if we stiffen our necks, our Father in heaven will humble us. And our Father in heaven will work because he loves his people. So friends, let us heed this warning tonight uh, that God is faithful to keep his word. And though he has great mercy and tenderness towards his saints, uh, let us not, even as believers, presume upon the grace of God. Scripture says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can you who died to sin still live in it? Friends, these are words of warning to us. We must not presume upon the mercy of God, but that we must come And confess our sins, as the Puritans used to say, to confess our particular sins particularly before God. To keep short accounts with the Lord uh, and to continue to see his great mercies to us in Christ. Because, friends, Romans 8 tells us, there is now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are promised that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So, friends, let us not harden our hearts Let us come most eagerly to the throne of grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for this word. Lord, we pray that you would cause our hearts to be softened toward your word. Lord, that we may not be those that stiffen our necks and harden our hearts against your tender mercies and warnings to us. Lord, we pray that you would be with us, O God, that we may uh, just continue to abide with Christ. Father, we pray that you would help us as a church. Uh, to love and to serve one another. And Father, once again, we thank you for Christ and his cross, for it is through that cross that your wrath against our sin was satisfied. Father, we give you all praise and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.